Good morning. Um, back in the spring, our church began a, a, a journey uh, called Activate that our uh, Association of Churches has put on for churches just to, to see where they are, to look at their present reality and, uh, and move towards their preferred future. And so one of the initial aspects, the initial aspect of that was uh, what's called the transformational survey that many of you took to reveal some things uh, about the strengths and weaknesses of our church. Now, I want you to understand that it doesn't reveal all the strengths and weaknesses of our church, especially it doesn't reveal all the weaknesses of our church. It's a survey, like it says, for transformational church survey, just to see when it comes to a church that's impacting the world around it, what are some surface level things? And so I want you to be, be clear as we reveal these weaknesses, we're not saying these are all the weaknesses that we have as a church or individuals, but uh, but these are some things that were revealed in this survey that, that we need uh, to look at. And so the, in the month of August, we're just kind of sharing some of those results with you and, and just sharing with you some, some of the findings from that survey. In the last two weeks, uh, we saw that, um, that many of us believe that our church is lacking in prayerful dependence. And so we've been teaching on that the last couple of weeks, and, and, uh, and, and we as a church need to be thinking through uh, how we continue to, uh, to, to grow and make prayerful dependence a, a point of strength for our church and not a weakness. In the next two weeks, we'll be looking at the other uh, weakness that was revealed. And I would best describe this, this, this weakness in this way, that uh, as we've already said, a str the strength of our church is that we are a church on the go, that we are a church that is really actively involved in mission, both here in our community. Uh, the survey revealed that we all feel that, that people in our community are glad our church is here, that they feel an impact from our church being here. We even, even revealed that we are on mission in other countries, that we're doing, uh, we're doing some great stuff. We are a, a church that's excited to get in there and do something. And that's awesome. But one of the weaknesses that we revealed, that was revealed besides prayerful dependence was this, and that is, is that when it comes to informal ministry, when it comes to us as individuals taking an initiative and in sharing the gospel or inviting others to church, we're very weak in that area. Uh, here are a couple of questions that we all, that, that most of us did miserable on. Uh, I had someone mention these questions to me because they said, hey, look, I mean, that survey was great until the end because, man, most of that survey was me, you know, evaluating the church. And, man, I was happy to just, now I'm going to let the church have it and see where, where, what we're doing wrong. He said, and then it got to those last few questions and it started asking about me. I didn't like that so much. So here are the two questions that, that we bombed on. How many non-Christians have you shared your faith story with in the last six months? That was one of our very weakest questions. Most of, most of the uh, people that took that survey uh, had to say, I, I, haven't, I haven't shared my faith story with anyone in the last six months. The other question was, how many people have you invited to attend small group or worship service in our church in the past six months? 
Now, I would say that probably in most churches, people would bomb in those kind of personal questions, but that's not okay. We don't want to be like every other church. We want to be a church that is involved in informal personal ministry. And what I mean by that is, man, when we throw up a list to fly across the ocean on spring break to share the gospel in the, in the deep, deep countries of Nicaragua, our church responds well. We always have everything we need for that trip. If we're going to go and, and go to a park and minister to, uh, to Spanish-speaking people, and we say, hey, we need people for food, we need people to hand out tracts and water, we have great response there. But when it comes to someone, to, to we as individuals, looking across our street and seeing our neighbor over there and saying, without the church telling us to do so, with us just saying in our hearts, I need to go share Christ, or I need to go invite them to church. We're lacking in that area. Now there, I was so encouraged to hear a story this week, I won't go into details, but one of our members was able to share Christ with someone, and they came to know Christ. And so it's not non-existent. I know some of you are saying, man, I do it. And yeah, there's some people that are doing it, but we want to be a church where everybody is engaged in, in taking that personal initiative without the church telling you to sign up or without the church telling you to do it with you just in your heart having the heart that says i want to share the gospel with others and so our text this morning i want us to look at this this morning we'll look at kind of just having a desire to share christ and next week we'll look at more of the practical of how to share christ in our lives and take that personal initiative but this morning, we want to talk about a heart like Jesus. Don't you want to have a heart like Jesus? Don't you want to be able to say that when it comes to lost people, when it comes to the lost world, don't you want to be able to say, I have a heart like Jesus? Well, I believe Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38, uh, tells us about the heart of Jesus. So if you want to uh, turn there, I believe it will be on the screen uh, as well. Matthew 9, 35 through 38. To kind of get context here, what happens is, is Jesus goes to, uh, to his temptation. Um, and, and, uh, and, 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 of course, he, he resists that temptation. And then it becomes time for him to start his earthly ministry. And in Matthew, what we have is, we have verses five, or chapters 5, 6, and 7 is the Sermon on the Mount. It's teaching. It's Jesus teaching uh, about, uh, about what we as his followers are supposed to look like. We're actually going to uh, look at the Sermon on the, on the Mount starting in the fall. And then uh, Matthew 8 and 9, we have these testimonies of God, of, of Christ serving people with miraculous acts of service, of healing. And so I'm going to jump back to Matthew 4.23 because it's important that we kind of see this here. Matthew 4.23, just at the beginning as he's starting his ministry, uh, Jesus sa it says this about Jesus. And he went throughout Galilee teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. Okay. So I want you to look as we read our text, which is at the other side, right? So you have 
what I just read, that Jesus is teaching and healing, and then, and then the Sermon on the Mount, the teaching, and then the testimonies of healing, and then we have our text. We have the other book in, which is very similar to what I just read in Matthew 4, 23. So Matthew 9, 35 through 38, our text says this, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest let's pray one more time dear only father god help us to have a heart like jesus a heart that does not have to be told by the church to uh to every step of the way of how to witness or or to go out but a heart that just loves people enough to pursue people and to serve people and most of all to teach people the gospel god give us that heart this morning in jesus name i pray amen so we have the starting of Jesus' ministry. He teaches and he, he does acts of mercy. We have the testimony of that, the teaching in 5 through, uh, through 7, and then 8 and 9, the testimonies of servanthood. And then we have kind of a recap of, of, of Jesus' ministry. And so let's look at this, at what we've learned through this kind of capsulation of Jesus' ministry. The first thing we see is what Jesus did. We notice he went to the people. It says, and Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages. And he went throughout all the cities and villages. Listen, Jesus is the greatest missionary that has ever existed. I mean, if missions is bridging some type of gap, whether it's a language or culture barrier, to give someone the good news of the gospel, no gap of it has ever been bridged like Jesus bridged when he went from heaven to earth to bring us the wonderful good news of Christ. Christ shows us that we are to be on the go. Luke 19.10 says this, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That's why he was here. He was looking, he was pursuing people, and he was saving the lost. You know, Jesus' fame at this time, it was growing fast. I mean, you walk around and you're healing blind people. You're raising the dead. You're doing all of these crazy things. You have a fame where he probably could have sat in Jerusalem and said, hey, come and see Jesus. Because really that's the way the Jewish religion had been set up to that point. There was a temple, and they told people, come and see what God is doing. Come see what God has done among the people, among the Jewish people. And so Jesus could have set up near the temple and continued that tradition of, hey, come and see what's going on. But we see that what does Jesus do? He goes into the cities and into the villages. He goes out into the highly populated areas where the rich people are in the cities 
And he went out into the villages, the less populated places, where more of the blue-collar people were. But he went out and he just scoured the, the hillside, the countryside, to share his teachings and to share his acts of mercy. He was transforming, even at that early moment of his ministry, he was transforming the faith from a go-and-see type of faith to a, to a uh, to, from a come and see type of faith to a go and tell type of faith. There are thousands of people in our area that will never, ever come to the corner of Hillside and Wy- uh, of Hillsboro and Wyatt to attend a service here on Sunday morning. There's thousands that will never, ever, ever do that. But in those thousands, imagine how many of those thousands you all touch by going to work, by going to school, by being involved in your kids' soccer, by just living in your neighborhood, that your lives are rubbing up against those people that would never come to Wyatt. So what you need to do is begin to get in your mind of, what am I going to do for these people that maybe might never come? How can I go to them and share Christ? When, when Jesus tells us in the Great Commission, before he leaves this earth, to go, to go and tell and to teach what I've taught, go, make disciples, he's not just throwing that out there, suddenly he's, show, he's modeled that for us. From the very beginning of his ministry, he was going to the cities and the villages and finding people and teaching and having mercy on them. When you go about your life, do you see yourself as on the go for the gospel? And I don't mean that you have a pocket full of tracks and, and you're at the water cooler throwing out tracks to everybody. But I'm saying in your life, do you, you go to Walmart? Do you go home into your neighborhood? Do you walk around your neighborhood? Do you, uh, do you go to your kid's soccer game? With, with always in your mind of, I'm going in the midst of people that are lost. That I'm commissioned like my Savior, I'm to be Christ-like. And if Jesus was on the go among the people, then should not be. You live your life with that kind of purpose. Christ went from city to city and village to village with purpose. Do you? Do we? We see that not only did he go among the people, he taught the people. It says in verse 35, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Jesus went into these various cities and and villages to teach, and he, he went there to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom. He would go into the synagogues, the most convenient place where people would go and teach and listen to teachings, and he would go to the convenient place of the synagogue, even though the, you know, the Jewish faith was the the leaders were not doing great things he went into where the people would be where they where they would listen to his teaching we must always remember that the greatest need of the lost is always first and foremost the gospel the teachings of jesus christ everyone who is saved comes to that salvation through being taught the gospel We are taught Christ, as the scripture says. 
a preacher, a parent, or a friend, when you came to know Christ, you came through them teaching you. You may say, well, I, had, I just had my Bible. Well, you had the teachings of Jesus there. So we must always remember that we can never, ever, and I say this all the time, and you're probably tired of it, but if you take the teaching of the gospel away from Wyatt Baptist Church, Wyatt Baptist Church ceases to exist. We might as well turn the lights out, call it a day, and be on our way, because we have nothing. Many churches, liberal churches, at some point, they held on to teaching, and they held on to good works, and at some point they said, You know, the culture doesn't really like to be told what to do. They don't really like to be told about this holy God that's wrathful. So let's just let go of the teachings, and we'll just go on and and feed the hungry, give money to the poor, and everybody will like us. And the reality is, is what they have found is that those churches just disintegrate because there's no power, there's no strength there. You can give a person a sandwich for a day, That doesn't save their soul. It is the teaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we must all see ourselves as teachers. It's not just if you're it's not just if you're teaching Sunday school or if you're here in the pulpit. We are all to be teachers of Christ. What does the scripture tell us is to be ready to give reason for the hope that is within you. So we all should be people that are able to sit down and say, this is what Jesus has done for me, and this is is what Christ has done for us all through his death, and just to share people the gospel. You should be able to be a teacher. We all should be able to teach people the gospel. Many of us, our problems is, is that we're not being taught, that we're not pursuing the scriptures on our own. And so we have nothing to teach others. We are all to be teachers that go about teaching Christ. And yet Jesus demonstrated for us that we are not just to be distributors of the truth on high, but we are also to be people in the mud of everyday life serving the lost. So we see that he didn't just teach them. He went into their, uh, their cities and villages. He served the people, healing every disease and every affliction. As he went about speaking the truth, he also was very, very happy to meet people's temporal needs. He fed the, the thousands of people with the fish and loaves, and he healed diseases. We were also told that he did so many things that the world could not contain all the things we did that we that aren't in Scripture, acts of mercy and miracles that he did. While acts of service can never in and of themselves save one's soul, it can certainly, certainly empower the truths that we preach. Well, we see... Uh, we see that, that Jesus had a desire to serve with these miracles, not just as a desire to awe, as a magician would, would awe someone. He wanted that awe 
to lead them to believe in him. This is what we're told in John 10, 37-38. If I'm not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may not know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. The miracles he did were ways to help the people believe. Luke 5, 24, when he heals the, the man uh, lowered through the roof, it says, but that, uh, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise and pick up your bed and go home. His authority to, to heal was to show his authority over sin and his authority to forgive. To not just, just temporarily relieve someone of their health issues, but to relieve someone of their eternal Sin issues. Now we would say that, that given the evidence from our own life is we're not having that effect on people, right? I mean, Jesus, people would touch his clothes and get healed. And I don't know the last time you went to the, to the hospital, but if you were visiting somebody and they reached out and touched your blue jeans, suddenly it, I doubt they suddenly became healed. And so we would say, well, yeah, that's Jesus' ministry. He could, he could just instantly take away cancer. He could instantly, instantly make someone walk that never could walk before. I can't do that. I think the point remains that it is good and right to look after the temporal needs of people so that we can hopefully meet their eternal needs. His works to meet their physical needs showed his authority to meet their spiritual needs. It gave them, gave him the opportunity as people flocked to him for healing, for him to teach them what truly saves their souls. So our church and each member individually should look for opportunities to meet the needs of others, not just to dispense truth to them. But to look at how to meet the their needs and all things go back to God if you are listening to a co-worker and he's yelling at his wife or she's yelling at her husband and things seem so bad in their marriage and that happens a lot what a great opportunity to come in there and try to through that need as you kind of try to talk to them about their marriage and because nobody wants their marriage to fall apart. Everyone wants a good marriage. But as you get in there and as you say, hey, let me talk to you about your marriage and use it as an opportunity to bring in, hey, man, the greatest thing for, for marriage is for two people to love and pursue Jesus Christ. Look for opportunities to, to meet the needs of others. Yeah, you may not be able to heal people with the garments of your clothes. But you have opportunities around you to, to think about how to serve others. And next we see what Jesus felt. In verse 36 we see what was occur occurring in the heart of Jesus that kind of led him into all this action. First we see that he hurt for their condition. It says because they were harassed and helpless. 
Do you gaze upon the lost in that way? Do you gaze upon them with sympathy? Never march in a parade proclaiming that kind of thing? And they're horrible. Now I could see being, being just feeling displeasure that, that something is happening outside of, of God's revealed will. I understand that, but a rage for an individual lost person sinning. And let's go, let's go gripe at our dogs for barking. Let's go gripe at cows for eating grass. Let's go gripe at fish for swimming. Without God's grace, what kind of addictions would you be involved in to somehow feel what is gone if Christ is not there? Without God's grace, what kind of sexual sin would you be capable of to find some kind of pleasure that you're lacking because Christ is not there? Without God's grace, how angry and bitter might you feel about life and about people if Christ had not loved you and given you love in your heart? I don't know about you, but I have enough trouble not sinning with the Spirit of God in me that to be enraged at an individual sinning without that Spirit in me. Is our first thought to glare at the sin of the lost and say those filthy people or is our first instinct with that, with, to be like Christ and say God, they are harassed. God, they are helpless. God, love them. Call them to yourself so that they might leave what they're doing behind you know, the Bible is pretty clear that we are to rage against sin in the church and to be very loving and patient and long-suffering with sin outside the church, but we seem to always have it backwards. We wink at the sin in our church and get enraged at the, church out, the sin outside of our church. Do we not? But Jesus saw the lost and He had compassion on them. He also hurt because they didn't belong to him. They were not his yet. It says they were like sheep without shepherd, Jesus, Jesus said. Jesus is borrowing from the Old Testament language. There's uh, several occasions in the Old Testament of, Jew, uh, of, of the Jewish people just kind of going in disarray. And it speaks of them as sheep scattered without a shepherd. We know that in the New Testament, Jesus paints himself as the shepherd who will go out, leave the 99 and go after the one who is lost. So this picture is clear that the, the, the lost are like sheep without a shepherd. They have no one to protect them. They have no one to give them a new direction in their life away from, from sin and selfishness. They have no one to give them an ultimate purpose the reality of the lost wandering sheep is the story of all of us folks 
1 Peter 2.25 tells us that. It says, for you, he's writing to Christians, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Jesus looked upon the people and he said, man, they need to know me. And folks, the greatest, the greatest problem that people have is not their any individual sin that they have. It's not their worst individual sin. So often we say that's their problem. Their problem is not that one sin or that one sin. Their problem is that they don't belong to the shepherd. And that they need someone to tell them about the shepherd and tell them how wonderful and great and loving that shepherd is that they might come and find relief for their troubled souls. We see that he hurt to the point of compassion. You know the difference between compassion and sympathy. Compassion is sympathy set on fire with action. Sympathy says, man, I hate the fact that there are orphans. That's really sad that there's or, they're orphans. Compassion says, I'm opening up my home to orphans. It's, simp- it's sympathy to, to kind of look across the street and see how troubled your neighbor's marriage is. I feel bad for them. I wish they had, you know, me and my wife, we, we love each other. We love to be with each other. Man, they just don't have that. That's sympathy. Compassion says, Honey, we've got to invite them over for supper and just try to maybe talk to them about where they are in their lives and, and what God may be able to do for them. That's compassion. I always remember the testimony of uh, Brother Philippe, uh, uh, Brother F- uh, Felipe at uh, La Concepcion. We'd been traveling to Espavel in Nicaragua for years and thought it was the end of the earth, actually. We thought, that, man, you, got, you go another mile and you're going to fall off the edge of the earth. But Brother Felipe went deeper into uh, the area to visit his daughter. And he had never pastored before, but he got to this area and he began to see there's no church here. And he kind of quoted this scripture in his testimony. He said, and the, I looked around and I could see the people and they were like sheep without a shepherd. And so this older man who had never pastored, what does he do? He uproots his life in Espavel, where he could have just finished out his day, days in comfort. He uproots his life there and moves to a totally new place, deeper in, the boat ride away. Two and a half, three hour boat ride away so that he could start a church. That's compassion. Sympathy would have been, he said, man, I, I wish there was a church here. And I'll pray. I'll go home and put that on my prayer list. Compassion is, I'm making a church here. Or God's going to use me to make a church here. We don't just want to feel bad. We want to be moved into action. That's what Jesus does. He, he feels these feelings, and this is what has led him to come and have mercy and to teach these people. Then we have what Jesus said. He then says, the harvest is plentiful. There's a bountiful harvest. Listen, a bountiful harvest is good news. 
I did not have a bountiful harvest this year. I planted about a dozen tomato plants. I got about a dozen tomatoes. That's not good news. A bountiful, you know, plants falling over with tomatoes, that's good news. And so Jesus has given us the good news here. Hey, folks, if you look around, there's a harvest. And I love, I love the picture here because it's guaranteed success. A bountiful harvest is, all you got to do is go pick it. There's, the rains come, man, all the work's been done. It's there for the picking. So there's good news in that if we would simply look around El Dorado, we would see that there's a harvest of souls, of people that don't know Jesus Christ. But, The bad news, he says, is the workers are few. That's the only bad news when there's a good harvest is if you don't have the ability or have the people to go out and gather what God has already promised and given in Christ. The problem is not, the problem is not that there's not souls to be harvested in El Dorado. The problem is, is the workers are few. That we need to begin to see people that look upon El Dorado and not just see a city, we see a harvest of souls. We look upon Magnolia, our members that are over there, and we don't just see a city, we see a harvest of souls. We look at SAU, and we don't just see a, a university, we see a place where internationals are that some of them have no idea who Jesus is. That's not, that's not bad news. That's good news. But they're just over there waiting. They have no preconceived notions like, like people we know that have heard about Jesus all their life and, and have put up all the walls against the gospel. We have There's people over there and they just need to hear about it for the first time that's good news your workplace is not just a place where you earn a paycheck it's a place of harvest your neighborhood isn't just where your house sits it's a place of bountiful harvest through the work of the cross through the work of the spirit God is guaranteed the success of the harvest. The issue is workers to go out and gather what he's prepared. He says, pray. Pray that there will be workers that rise up. So pray, become a person of action of prayer, but don't just pray. Don't sit in your workplace and go, that guy over there needs Jesus. I'm going to pray that God would send them someone to tell them about Jesus. He's two cubicles over. I'm going to pray that he hears the gospel. It's not just, man, God, do something great in our neighborhood. 
and bring Jesus to these people I live next to, down Mary and, and uh, Sam and Mary, two doors down, and bring them to church. That would be ridiculous to just sit there and pray when we could easily be the means to, to answer that prayer. So I ask you this morning, do you have a heart like Jesus? Do you have a heart that looks upon your world, the people that you live next to, the people that you work with, the people that you're in a family with, the people you go to Walmart with? Do you gaze upon them as Christ gazed upon the lamb? As a harvest, as a harvest that just needs someone to have a heart like Jesus that would teach them the truth and that would show them mercy in their needs. I'm going to ask you to please stand and, and think about that. Ask yourself that question. Do I have a heart like Jesus when it comes to the harvest? And where, ask God, God, where do you want me to get involved? Where do you want me to take my heart to the lost and pour myself out for them? If you don't know Christ, I would love to talk to you. I'd be right down here. I'd love to talk to you about what it means to, to know Jesus Christ as your Savior. Let's pray and then we'll sing. Dear Holy Father, God, sometimes it's so easy to sign up for a mission trip. Got to go to a park and, and feed people and put on a Bible school, God. But for whatever reason, sometimes it's so hard for us in our daily personal lives to see the opportunities right in front of our face. And God, not just to see it, but to have, God, give us the courage, the courage to, to share Christ with those around us. God, you've done the work. The harvest is setting there, waiting on us. God, help us to be those who will reap what you have put in place. God, help us to look with compassion to the lost and move into action to teach and serve them. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.